Okay, Mission Impossible 3, Chase note. welcome back to the podcast. I'm happy to be back. You may remember him from Mission Impossible 2, a.k.a. so far the running record for longest podcast on the Booze Cruise podcast. We just nerd out about Mission Impossible. We do. There's just, there's no way around it. And we're both highly type A competitive people. So will that record be broken? <laughs> Who can say? <laughs> um, it may, in fact, be broken tonight because Mission Impossible 3 is a Mission Impossible that we've watched all the Mission Impossibles together. So we've seen it. I bet I've seen this movie 10 times. Easy. Um, and But the thing that really brings us together on this one specifically is the fact that it is directed by J.J. Abrams, who we both know and love, um, but for different reasons. And so we have discussed this ad nauseum over the years um, that we have different J.J. Abrams loves and neither of us has seen the other one. Um, So mine is Alias, my all-time favorite TV show, um, which was uh, born out of J.J. Abrams' directorial debut and TV was Felicity, starring Carrie Russell, who is also in Mission Impossible 3. Um, and he was in the writer's room one day, and he was like, what if Felicity was a spy? And they were like, oh, JJ, you crazy kook. And then he was like, ha, alias. And so he came <laughs> up with this show um, on ABC. It, it started airing in 2001, um, which was right for me. That was my freshman year of high school. So this was like... I thought Sydney Bristow was like the coolest thing that ever existed. And honestly was like why I got into video production and all that stuff because I was like, oh my gosh, people make money. Like this is what they do for a living. Like this is crazy. Um, and so Alias is, um, has, will forever hold a special place in my heart, but it was my introduction to JJ. Um, and I just thought JJ hung the moon and stars and you know, everything in between. I was like, he is amazing. And your JJ love is is Lost, of course. Which is what else he the other probably probably what he's more known for. I think Lost had more of a broader audience than Alias did. Um, but Lost started in what two thousand four. Two thousand four. Okay, so Alias was still on the air. He left. He had this idea for Lost, um, and uh, he's you know went on and did that. Um, but he there's kind of a Tom Cruise connection with both of these JJ Abrams projects, as I understand it. So, um, Tom Cruise, obviously, cause alias is more about spies and that kind of stuff. So it's more up the mission impossible alley anyways. Um, but Tom Cruise had binge watched the first two seasons of alias, which thank goodness, because they're the best two seasons. Um, he had watched them and he was like, that's the guy, that's the guy I want for the next mission impossible. And you had said, I, from, stories i've read him and i believe steven spielberg went to hawaii to watch jj abrams film the pilot and that's when jj and tom talked about making mission impossible and that's why jj abrams is only he's been the producer of lost for the whole time but he only directed the pilot and maybe a couple episodes after that and then he he hightailed it to the big leagues so yeah that's kind of cool so there's a tom cruise jj abrams connection in both of our first forays into the J.J. Abrams universe. So because of that, I feel like, you know, we've talked about this movie a lot. Um, you know, we could have like the the normal conversation about it. Um, but I actually feel like I don't want to spoil this movie. I don't think I want to go through it step by step because um, as we'll talk about after um, we watch it, it is the, it was the uh, weakest in Mission Impossible in the box office. 
Um, so probably the least likely that people have seen it and I don't want to ruin it because there's some really good twists in it. Um, but I think what I want us to do, our mission, should we choose to accept it is to write down as we're going through this, every JJ Abrams staple that we see, um, and then nods that we see to both of our JJ Abrams loves. So alias lost, um, and those, those kind of things. And I think we can kind of talk about how that fits into, Cause really like you have to think like alias lost in mission impossible three, that was the JJ Abrams trifecta that launched his career for real. I would definitely agree. Yes. That's what got him everything else he's ever done. Every star Wars, every star Trek. I think Felicity would have been, but once she cut her hair, I know, like, right? everyone Just forgot f- about it. So, um, but that is our mission. We're going to watch mission impossible three. We're going to talk about the JJ Abrams of it all and our mission. Should we choose to accept it? In three, two, one. What is the rabbit foot? <laughs> Agent confirmed. Stand by to go live on my mark. Five. You have a, a wife, a girlfriend? Four. Three. Whoever she is, I'm gonna find her. Two. I'm gonna hurt her. One. And then I'm gonna kill you right in front of her. What are you not telling me? jump into the movie we have to discuss the fact that we both just heard a song in the end credits that neither of us have heard before and it is some weirdo kanye song called impossible that feels very relevant right now you learn something new every time you watch a movie or if you just keep it on the background while you're waiting for credits to end i had no idea that existed and Oh, we it left. doesn't. It doesn't fit the movie at all. No, I left. We, I not, let the it, end credits run. I was like, I gotta go to the bathroom, and I like ran to the bathroom, and then I walked out, and he's like, Have you heard this before? It's not <laughs> as bad as Limp Biscuit on Mission Impossible Two, but what is with what the? What is, is with that? What's the point of that? It's a product of its time. It really is, and weirdly enough, feels relevant today. <laughs> How I don't know. <laughs> Um, all right, Mission Impossible 3, just as good as the first time I saw it, still amazing. Um, some quick facts, estimated budget, $150 million. Um, made $134 million in the U.S., $398 million worldwide, so it did well, but... The worst of all of them. In the box office. Do you want, do you want to talk about why perhaps this could be the case? 
There's several things, one of which, just like if you read about the behind the scenes of Mission Impossible 2, it taking a long time to get made. J.J. Abrams was the third director choice for this movie. It was supposed to come out in 2004. Mm -hmm. It didn't come out till 2006. And in the span of that time was Tom Cruise jumping on couches with Oprah. There was some South Park episode apparently that had something weird that got everyone kerfluffled about him. To the point where by the time this movie came out, people were just done with Tom Cruise. It's true. And for something I didn't know, because I didn't see the Bourne movies until after, this was right in the middle of those, and it was such a different pace and action-packed version of a spy movie, and this was also in between Brosnan Bond and Craig Bond, Yep. but Casino Royale was just coming out, that it just seemed to some people stale. Like, all these antics Tom Cruise is doing, like, this was like, a last-ditch effort, end-of-the-rope type thing, which in hindsight is hilarious, but at that point, yeah, they did. I don't think they he knew also, if they was going to make another one he again. He also went on some rant on the Today Show with Matt Lauer about post-traumatic... No. What's it called after you have a baby? Postpartum depression. Yes. Okay. I did. Like post-traumatic stress disorder. Nope, that's not right. But it was about Brooke Shields. Like she had said something about like she struggled with postpartum and he got, it was like a really weird, like where you're like Tom Cruise, first of all, not a woman. (laughs) Second of all, never had a baby. Why do you, why are you even commenting on this? Like it was just like this weird, I think that was after the Oprah thing. Okay. But I read an interesting article about how, because this was the Katie Holmes era of Tom Cruise, which obviously was instigated or the beginning of which was the Oprah Winfrey couching couch jumping incident. And everybody said like, so the, the premise of this movie was, um, I'm really kind of the JJ Abrams overall staple was like, what if Ethan Hunt was a real person with a real life? And everyone was like, Michelle Monaghan just like looks a little too much like Katie Holmes. And at that point, like nobody was really interested in Tom Cruise being a normal person. So this probably would have played well, like you said, two years earlier or even four years later. But the, the, the fact that this like kind of lined up in that time frame, people are like, eh, I'm out. And it's such a darn shame because it really is a good movie. Yeah, like I did not really follow any of that stuff. Like I didn't come home and watch Oprah right. after school. What? Uh, <laughs> this movie came out, so I am lucky my birthday is the first of May, and generally the first weekend of May is summer blockbuster start, especially since the it's MCU open has started. Season, yes, yeah. it is. All the big movies come out my birthday weekend. This was my birthday weekend movie when I turned 18. Whoa, look so at you. So this was like senior year of high school. My mom had taken me to see the second one. Ironically, love movies. My dad, you have to drag him to a movie theater. My mom's <laughs> the one that takes me to the movies when I was growing up, which was fun. She took me to see the second one. So she was interested in seeing the third one. And when we got out of the movie, we were both super impressed. We had no idea who J.J. Abrams was yeah. at that time. But she was like, the first one, all plot, no action. The second one, all action, zero plot. Yep. This is the perfect balance. And I'm like, yes. And we both came out excited. But I also remember them saying, 
in the news before like you go to box office mojo but like it was not doing well and then i was like oh watching this the couch jumping and stuff like that i was like i just it sadly did come out at the wrong time yeah you're like uh this was yeah tom cruise just didn't do himself any favors leading up to this movie let's just put it that way um rotten tomato score 71 percent tomato meter um 69 audience score i would put it higher than that i would too i read some of the the negative reviews and to me it's laughable but you know some people a lot of people said it was too small a scope like jay jim's first directorial movie like he was still doing tv side yeah i can see that but if it's a good story i don't care like as you watch this movie you do realize he definitely is doing the least amount of stuns like this is not the movie to showcase him being on the side of a plane or jumping out of a plane uh i wrote down like the the biggest stunt he does is runs really fast for a really far amount of time is basically is but but it's true this movie didn't really need it and that's ironic because i go to this series for the stunts now yeah but this is still if not my favorite very slimly behind fallout being in at least top two favorite yeah i always feel like for me three five and six are all kind of at the top and i know four is four is your five yes four is yes um we've discussed this ad nauseum (laughs) um but yeah it's like but this honestly like mission impossible 3 is the movie like you have to credit jj for kicking off what is the better part of the mission impossible series which is the fact that there is kind of a through line through three four five and six Four is a little bit of an outlier, but there's still ties to three. And then five and six, really, six really brings it back. I was telling um, Chase when we were watching the movie, I was like, it's int- I haven't watched this since Fallout. And like, spoiler alert, whatever, there's more ties in Fallout to three than there are in four and five. And um, I was like, this is so interesting. I haven't gone back and watched three since I watched six Fallout. Um, and it really does give six a whole lot more impact um, after having watched it. Um, but like kudos to Jay, even if you don't, even if, if you're a fan of the series, but this isn't one of your favorites, like you have to credit JJ with giving the character of Ethan Hunt and the, the series more weight because up till then it's very like episodic in a way. Yes. And you said pointing out JJ isms as we go on. Yes. If you can credit him with anything, even if he's not your favorite director, which again, this is not me having to defend it with you. Now yeah. I know that me and you can defend this yeah. against anyway. The dude can cast. Like yes. you want to go through the reboot Star Trek, the new Star Wars movies. This movie brought Benji. Yes. Like Best still, addition yes, to the series. Without a by doubt. Far. And he by laying the cast and laying yes, because Luther was already there, fingering like he said, but besides him, you have this through line, like you said, and it makes uh it makes it not as much episode, but it makes you want to go back more because you're invested now in these characters. Yeah. And they have like, like these, cause up until, which we'll talk about this when I, we talk about rogue nation and fallout, but it's like the, the female characters in this, in these series have been interchangeable. <laughs> and I literally, as I was watching it this time, I was trying to pay attention and I was like, does Maggie Q even talk? Like, I was like, I think she has like six lines and she's like in all of the missions. It's terrible. I love Maggie Q, and I she was introduced in this movie. 
I was introduced to you by a mutual friend who used to be my roommate that yes. watched her and Nikita like every week. Yes. And we, but I had to look up what her name was because yes. I have no idea. Yes. Her and Jonathan Rice yes. Myers characters, they literally don't even say them. Yep. They're like these just, they're secondary. They get little quippy lines and that's it. There's nothing to them. And I'm really glad that they chose to bring Benji along because I feel like, um, you know, Jeremy Renner is one that gets added as they go along and it's, and you, I so appreciate the character development. And I think it helps you develop the character of Ethan because now he has like continual characters that he's building alongside as well. You know what I mean? Um, okay. So our, before we get into, I mean, we're already, this is just how Chase and I are. We just, it's like one thing. And then all of a sudden we're off to the races. Um, our drink for, uh, the episode, uh, tonight, I have called JJ slushy. <laughs> and I don't know if this is something in lost or any of his other pieces of work, but there is a scene in Mission Impossible 3 where he meets Billy Crudup, who is his handler at the IMF, at a 7-Eleven. And Billy Crudup says, I just can't decide what size slushy to get. And he says, I always go for the 900 ounce. And then Billy Crudup laughs, and then they keep going. In the second season, no, in the second episode of the first season of Alias... Sydney, Jennifer Garner's character, meets her handler, Michael Vaughn, at a 7-Eleven, and he is standing at the slushy machine, and he asks her if she wants one, and she says, no, I'm cold, and he says, are you sure? They're delicious, and she says, I said I was cold, <laughs> and I literally, like, when I watched this, I went back and watched episode two of Alias last night, because I was like, it is the most obvious nod to Alias, I think for most of the movie it's such a small tiny little throwaway thing and i was like i'm doing it we're doing slushies for for episode 15 of the podcast um so it but it has to be a gas station slushy that's part of the thing like you can't you got to go to like a speedway or a bp or something you got to get a gas station slushy so i did a wild cherry gas station slushy um, and I added a little Bacardi lime rum, um, and top it off with some maraschino cherries, but you know, Chase doesn't drink alcohol, which is totally fine. Um, so you can just make the slushy. If you just want the slushy, you don't got to add anything to it. You can still add the maraschino cherries if you want, give it a little extra boost. Um, but it is, uh, that is my, my drink for the, and I named it after JJ because, it's it's would appear that JJ likes slushies. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in so many of his projects. Yep, he he definitely. I've I've heard of this nod um, in Lost and some other stuff like Cloverfield. He also I think also has a slushy reference, but he has a fake candy bar called Apollo bars that they have sprouted through other really things. Yes, he's a big fan of like repeat stuff. There's a in this. Um, movie there's he, when the postcard he gets from Lindsay says it's addressed to H Kelvin. Um, and he puts that in every project. Mm -hmm. It's his grandfather's name. Yes. Um, and so I like that there's little Easter eggs. Like J JJ is like the king of Easter eggs. So I grew up a huge star Wars fan. Yes. Like you, you obviously know this, but like it is definitely my thing. And I remember, you know, as kids, it's very easy to be like, you know, Nintendo, Sega, you, you take one, you, you champion it. I'm not doing anything else. Well, it was Star Wars or Star Trek. You yeah. had to pick one or the other. Right. And then in 2009 or 2008, when I read that 
new Star Trek's coming out. I've never seen that movie. Directed by J.J. Abrams. I am I'm now in. obligated that I have to watch this movie. <laughs> I must see this but movie. But I am so mad. But of course, I see it. It's incredible. It is amazing. And then I see in interviews, he goes, well, I grew up a Star Wars fan. I wasn't really interested in Star Trek. So I wanted to make a Star Trek movie that Star Wars fans could like. And I'm sitting there like, this makes a lot of sense. And it definitely upset. I worked at Apple at the time. Definitely upset a lot of Star Trek diehards. Yeah. But for me, that's great. Well, in the first Star Trek 2009 one, um, there's definitely an R2-D2 that flows by in the wreckage. Are you serious? Yes, and that is the greatest Easter egg because I'm how sure did they get, how any, did that any happen? big time Trekkie is going to be so upset. But I was like, that's, that's perfect. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Um, okay, so I don't want to go through the movie piece by piece because it is so good. And if you haven't seen it, then I don't want to like ruin anything. Um, but a basic rundown of the movie. So, And this is like, we'll go through, I literally have J.J. Staples and Alias Nods all throughout my notes. Um, but the biggest, J.J. Uh, Staple, like I said before, is he has this way of humanizing characters. And so he really, he's all about the relationships. He's all about the character development. Um, and that is, you know, we talked about before, like Mission Impossible is one of those weird franchises where like every movie has a different director and like a pretty different feel to it. Um, with the exception of five and six, which obviously were both Christopher McQuarrie. Um, and they each kind of put their own staple on it. So like Brian De Palma did the first one and it's that really like, um, like dramatic, you know, kind of, he uses a lot of like Dutch angles. Like he, his is a lot about like building tension, but not in like a, but in like a dramatic way and not in like a tense way. For me, it's the most dramatic way of using Benadryl. <laughs> nice. And then John Woo, of course, slow-mo, wire work. We talked about that for forever in the second one. Um, and then for JJ, it's like he has some visual uh, staples like lens flares, which I wrote uh, yeah. when he's when he's flying out of the building, when he's in Shanghai, the whole set piece that's in Shanghai. I'm like, he's falling through a sea of lens flares. Like, it's literally just like, lens flare, lens flare, lens flare. Did you notice in the helicopter chase, there are lens flares as he's shooting a flare? Yes. Oh, yeah. There's a lens flare <laughs> off of the flare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a little too on the nose. Um, yeah, there's lens flares all throughout this movie. And that is a total, like, J.J. Abrams is parodied because of how many lens flares he uses. Um, so he does have some visual styles, but, but overall like JJ staple is very much like the, the heart of the characters and all that stuff. So this was the movie that was supposed to make, I think an article I read was like, this was the movie that turned Ethan hunt into a superhero where he had a civilian side. Um, and so that was kind of the big takeaway. And I think maybe a lot of people like, didn't like that, you know, like we talked about before, which is why it didn't maybe do so well, but it really set him up for a better character throughout the rest of the series. Yes. By the end, it gave him stakes. Like, yes. Why does he need to do this? Yes. And so just a brief, you know, we, we find Ethan, he's classic JJ staple starting the story at the end and then looping you back to the beginning to figure out how he got to where he is. Um, I will argue though, that it is the best opening of all the mission impossible. I don't know. Five is so good too. For you. Yes. Five is good. I would well, say I mean, it just starts with that yep. giant stunt in five. This is true. I, I just love a cold open, which is a very, it's a bond thing, but the cold open never is 
an actual part of the movie. Like this is this is a cold open flash forward. Yeah. So it's like it, crucial you, to you, the plot. And you, yes, and you're getting thrown in. You're throwing in names you don't know. He's bleeding. What's wrong with her? She's just got we shot. We don't even know who she yes. is. And then this guy's just counting down, to, counting to ten. Philip Seymour Hoffman, best villain in the whole unit, in the whole. I'm glad because I I didn't know if you'd throw in who's the Solomon one from, Lane. Yeah, Lane. He is from good, five but and six. He's nobody good, but nobody can top Philip yes, Seymour Hoffman. I just put R.I.P. P.S.H. I know. So <laughs> I, sad. It's so menacing, and, and it's, it's not like even, it's because he's like calm. Like, that's what's scary about him. Like, he's like, and he's not even like particularly violent. He's just it's, really calculating. And I'm not, I'm not going to put him on, on the same kind of tier as Heath Ledger and the Joker. But if you were to tell me with my um, filmography knowledge of Philip Seymour Hoffman now, tell me back then that they were going to cast him as the main villain in Mission Impossible. I'm like, him? Really? That's odd. Yeah. But then when you watch it, it's just like how he does it is so nonchalant, but it's so menacing. It's super scary. Yes. Like, it's like, it's the, like, he's not angry. That's what's scary about it. I don't know how to, like, put that. It's like, does that make sense? Yes. Well, again, you don't want to go through the movie, but when you get halfway through the movie and it's this scene, but inverted, and he's the one captured and Ethan's talking to him. He breaks Ethan and gets Ethan to get too angry and out of control just by being calm yeah. and just saying the right words to just touch his buttons. And it, yeah, it's creepy. It's yeah. eerie. And another JJism just from the bat in that scene, shaky cam. Ugh, he yeah. is all about hand cam. He's all about, and I've watched videos on this. He is about taking a non-shaking situation and just physically shaking <laughs> the camera. Ah! There is a scene in season one of Lost where they're running yeah. from a polar bear. They, I watched the thing. They are running in place, and he's just having the camera guy shaking. But it, it looks amazing. Like the guy can just do things with cameras, which is so interesting because if you do John Woo, because of the wire work that has to be so fluid and it has yeah. to be in the one area because you yeah. can't show the behind of where the wires are going. And De Palma locked his camera down a lot. The camera is moving so much in this movie, and it creates this frenetic pace combined with the editing to make it just seem like it's fast-paced, it's action-packed. I love that. Some people think it's too chaotic or it's uh, distracting. It is not the case. I I love that so much. Yeah. Um, Yeah, definitely a JJ. I don't know. I don't feel like that was an alias thing. I feel like maybe every once in a while. But I did look it up, but he uses the same female editor in almost all of his stuff. And the same editor he used in Alias, he used here. He really? used in Star Trek in The, the Force Awakens. Yeah, huh. She's just, and you would not think that that, fat, that the, the girl can get it. Like, yeah. I love her uh, editing style. And it's just like, yeah. like if you ever talk about like an action scenes when editing is too much, they always show a scene from like Taken 2 or Liam Neeson. It takes him like 20 different shots to go up a climbing yeah. a fence. It's not like this here. You're seeing like there's shots. I picked it up where like he shoots a guy out of a window, says some like superstar one-liner, drops his gun. And by the time the gun drops, the guy has fallen out of the window and the thud of the guy is where it goes yeah. to. There's explosions that go into a car rev engine like it's these these editing shots the pace well even just like the opening so like you know there's the huge countdown and he's basically like threatening to shoot this woman who we don't know who she is and you know 
Ethan's freaking out. And it's the best opening into the theme because he shoots the gun and that's what lights the, the fuse for the theme. And then total JJ fashion, you think the theme song is just going to go on forever. And then all of a sudden it's just like cuts to dinner party where they're opening the fridge. And it's like, oh, Ethan's a real person. It's their engagement party, like whatever. And it's such a, like, it's jarring how fast it like switches over. Um, and so I think that was, that's an interesting, but that is totally JJ to just like cut like that. Um, okay. So just a general rundown of the movie so that people who haven't seen it get sort of an idea, but basically Ethan is retired from the field. He has, he's training people now. Um, his civilian cover is that he works in traffic control at the Virginia department of transportation. Um, he is uh, engaged now to Michelle Monaghan, who is a nurse, and um, he basically gets pulled back into the field because one of the agents that he trained has been captured and he needs to save her. Um, they, you know, go on a mission. They get her back. She ends up dying in a horribly gruesome way on the way back from the mission. It's the weirdest. It's Carrie Russell's character. And she has a charge in her head and it just explodes. And her eyes just, <laughs> they just like go in opposite directions and freeze. And it's the weirdest thing. Um, but then when he comes back, he's determined to catch the guy who did this because he wants, you know, revenge on who we find out is Owen Davian, who is Philip Seymour Hoffman's character. And they put together um, a mission that is one of the coolest set pieces of the whole series, which is the Vatican, where they break into the Vatican. They basically kidnap his character. Um, and that's the scene you mentioned in the plane. Um, he ends up getting free. And uh, basically the rest of the movie is Tom Cruise, Ethan Hunt trying to catch him. It's really, really good. Um, it's actually kind of a good, it's a, because there's that personal element, like you said, the stakes of like his wife, oh, spoiler alert, they get married in the middle. Um, he, it's a different story than the other ones. Like, I feel like there's a lot of mission impossible movies where it's like him trying to clear his name because he's been framed. And this one doesn't have that. There's an element of that, but, um, but it's not the whole plot line. So it does actually shake it up a little bit and give us a different plot line. Um, before we go into the specific JJ things and the nods to our favorite projects, I wanted to talk about some of the the set pieces. So I actually broke it down into there. I broke it down into five um, set pieces. One being the Lindsay Ferris rescue. So that's the Carrie Russell rescue, the Vatican. Um, the bridge, uh -huh. Shanghai, and then the Chinese village at the end. So <clears throat> it's kind of like known in the Mission Impossible universe that there are just um, big set pieces that the plot is kind of centered around. Fallout is probably the biggest example of that. This one has a lot more plot. Um, not more plot, just different. No, no like... Christopher McQuarrie said, like, they figure out the stunts and work the story around it. Whereas yeah. this, there wasn't really any stunts to work around. They just did plot yeah. points. But they're still great set pieces. Yeah. I and put also the Vatican favorite, like, has to be my favorite set piece of the whole series. See, the opera sequence in Rogue Nation is mine. But this is a close second. Um, but, uh, 
yeah, so the Lindsay Ferris rescue um, is kind of, it's the first big action sequence in the movie. Um, and it's, okay, so this scene in particular um, is very alias. The way it's shot, the way it looks, the coloring, everything. I feel like I'm watching an episode of Alias, and instead of watching Sydney Bristow, I'm watching Ethan Hunt. Um, the trick of the random guns just shooting at the building in an alias episode. Um, and he's able to do cooler stuff with it because his budget is bigger and they have more time. And it, it, there was even articles where JJ was talking about that, where he was like, I got to do a lot of stuff I wanted to do on alias, but I never could cause I didn't have the time or budget. Um, so you could kind of see how he expanded that out, but it's a cool mission that shows how the team works together. Um, where Maggie Q has zero lines in the whole scene. I'm just kidding. <laughs> very few lines. Um, but it ends in a helicopter chase. It's very intense. There's a lot of, and I think to you, what you were saying before, the editing of that is very frenetic, but like in the best way possible. Like you really, it's really, they're racing against the clock and the enemy who is chasing them. And there are lens flares. Um, but that, but that scene in particular is like, it's a good setup for this movie. It kind of lets you know, like, this is the kind of action that you're in for. Um, did you have it? Did you write anything down about that sequence? Yeah. Um, I wrote, let's see here. I have, I have a couple good stuff from that. Um, one being, uh, Jonathan Reese Myers, uh, it looks like an Irish Mark Paul Gosler on this movie. And I don't <laughs> know, I don't, I don't know why, does. but I always think of Saved by the Bell when he starts talking. I don't know why. It cracks He's me got, up. He has the yeah. Zach, yes. like Morris yes. kind of like Every suave. time I watch it. Yeah. yeah that's hilarious. Um, so he's driving the helicopter, but I have um, that the fact that if John, like we joked that we would do a drinking game with how many slow-mo shots that. Oh yeah. Uh, John, we would do in the second movie. But when, when there's slow motion in this movie, it's very sparse, but when it's used, it's used to great effect. And there's one mini tracking shot where Ethan tosses a gun to yes. Carrie Russell's character, and it just like it just follows the gun as she catches it, whips it around yes. and shoots, and it looks so good. It is pretty cool. That because it's being it's like the first time slow motion is used instead of the ninety fifth time, <laughs> and where you're like, Let's go. Is that yeah. scarf's flailing in the wind yes, again another another slow no, motion I, I did write i did write carrie russell still butthurt about her and rise of skywalker because jj casts her and you don't even see her face you see her eyes like i dro drove me nuts At i love when she shows up normal yes, yes. <laughs> okay it's true <laughs> she got him fixed before the movie right. but, um i wrote barf with the head charge <laughs> just <laughs> but the ad and i put this because we'll go slightly before this when I talk about helping with this frenetic editing and her, her name's Marion Brandon is yes. the, is oh, the yeah, editor. I totally know her name. Um, all these quick cuts, all this, cause you're going, you're racing this clock, but what helps is the score and the score is by Michael Giacchino, who is my favorite. And I want to at least bring up that as the shot goes at the cold open, then go into the credits, you immediately start hearing horns. And that is a Michael Giacchino thing. And it's like, it is such a stylistic choice with how he uses his instruments. Yeah. Whereas, probably not as good, but as as you know, in, in Mission Impossible 2, it's that Hans Zimmer guitar. Yeah. Yeah, it's rocking. That's awesome. But when you hear the horns, you're just like, I I'm know Giacchino's got this. Yeah. And he 
will do stuff with strings and horns to make that frenetic pace because yeah. it, it's like every episode I'm sure of Ailey's I've yep. seen, but every episode lost it the same way. Yeah. They even joke at the end to go to the commercial breaks that he actually would have horns flare off to let you know that the commercial break was right. coming. It's like, that's just his thing. Yeah. So that makes the pacing even crazier yeah. with that music. Yeah. Michael Giacchino is like the bomb and he is a JJ staple. He is, I think he's, has he scored every JJ project? Most of them. Because he did start, he did Force Awakens, didn't no, he? No, no. John Williams do... did get those, but he did the Star Trek movies with okay. them. Um, yeah, he he's done a lot of like John Williams movies sequels. Like yes. he does the Jurassic World movies. Yeah, and he um, did like uh, the Plan the Apes movies, like the newer ones. Yeah. Uh, but with JJ, he does a lot of. His, he definitely did a lot of his. TV stuff. Yeah, he got a lot of like I don't know how. And then he got an Oscar for Up, and then now he's like he's such a big deal. He the one Star Wars movie he did do was Rogue One, which okay. Was not, I, yes, I was like yeah. I did, did do a Star Wars, and movie. it was supposed to be Alexander Desplat or yeah. Desplat or whatever his last name is, and it he went out in last minute, and the guy scored it in like seven weeks, like yeah, before that's the insane. yeah, yeah, that's insane. He but you have to think like he he started on TV, he, two mm-hmm. huge series, so like you're scoring week to week, so like. That's probably like the best person you want in that situation is somebody who has to work under a time crunch. And he is, I just remember like when Alias came out, like they released the soundtracks for seasons one and two, like as full albums that, and I listen to them all the time, like a total nerd. But I know. I mean, if you want to go total nerd, I was working on a movie in town here in 2016 and he had a concert in LA to commemorate loss and it was the first time he had done it outside of like a special cast only one in in actual hawaii two nights only but when i got the tickets it was one night only but it was so popular he made it two nights um i only had one day off from the movie set i flew to la for 30 hours (laughs) to see this concert and it was the greatest thing i've ever heard and i went back in 2018 and heard it again so I believe you tried to get me to come both I, times. I, well, I'm sure. And I literally was like, I can't do that. And also, I never watched Lost. I know it wouldn't have the same. You would. You I would literally was it. like, is it going to be half alias? Because I'm there. If you it's would not, just see a, a bunch of blubbering people like crying at these emotional scenes that you like, have no context for. What is for? happening yeah. right now? You guys are nuts. Yeah. <laughs> well, an alias, like I feel like Lost probably had... um. There, I mean, there are very emotional pieces to Alias, but the thing that made Alias so cool with the soundtrack and Michael Giacchino was um, the uh, the missions that she would go on. He would use instruments from that part of the world. You know what I mean? So you'd have a lot of like world music that would come into the and like that made it cool and it made it feel. Cause you just think they're on a TV budget. They're ABC. Mm-hmm. They're filming in LA or on a back lot. Like there is no, they made a big deal. They went to Las Vegas for an episode and that was the only one they filmed Ooh. on location. Right. But she's all over the world. She's an international spy. So, so much of what they had to do was like set dressing and, but the music sells it. And so that was like, what was such a huge deal um, for that. But I'm sure that helps. You have to think that it probably helps him so much in the long run. Cause he's using all these different instruments and to be able to score different things but he does have a very unique specific sound and absolutely it is a hundred percent a huge part of this movie um, in particular. Um, the, okay. So was that all you had for the Lindsay Ferris? I was going to move on to the Vatican. All I wrote at the end is, wow, Ethan 
failed like we're not used yes. to seeing so another form of the humanization is yes. we're seeing him in missions that in other movies they don't go smoothly but this the girl's still there at the end yeah. like this he's coming back with a corpse that's not usual yeah. in, in his movies yeah and i actually put one of the big alias um not nods i don't know what else to call it callbacks um they have that huge graveside ceremony with the flashbacks that is a total alias thing he did that in the pilot episode of alias and even the way it's shot like the like there's a, like a tracking shot you see everybody at the funeral then it like cuts in and there's all these like flashbacks and stuff and i was like he stole that from alias like he reused that that is something that he well i mean if it's his he's not stealing it it's he's true just, yeah he's just uh... no 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 it is funny though because like there is so much of this i want to read an article at the end of the podcast because or a chunk of an article because it was really interesting but it's funny because I think JJ, and you know, we can talk about this a little later. He was criticized in Force Awakens for basically remaking A New Hope with different characters. It's very similar plot points, and um, I think he has a tendency, and not to his like discredit, because I don't think it makes him a, a bad director. But he tends to just do what he knows works, um, and. I think you see that here for the first time. Like if you, cause this is his first major motion picture. And I think, and I'm sure you wrote down stuff that you're like, Oh yeah, they did that in lost or yeah, they did this. And it's like, he, kn he knows what he wants. And he's like, I know that word. Nobody watched alias. So I'll just <laughs> watch it over here. Um, and things like that. The second set piece, and there's, I have notes in between and we'll, we'll come back to those. One of which by the way, is that Lawrence Fishburne, is the second best casting in this aside from Simon Pegg as Benji Dunn. Everything he's, he's in is great. Yes. Amazing. He has the best lines in yep. this movie. I wrote a couple of them down. He was like, this is intelligence. So far, I haven't seen any. It's so good. And then he says, um, please don't interrupt me when I'm asking rhetorical, rhetorical questions. questions. <laughs> but my favorite line that he says, and I... I'm going to, I'm going to screw it up. I might have to cut to it in the podcast, but he, cause it's the best delivered line of all time. He goes, I shit you not. I will bleed on the flag to make sure the stripes stay red. It, it is so the shot way. from Tom Cruise's point of view laying down. So it's inverted. So yes. he's upside down saying this. it's the best line. <laughs> and you're like, Lawrence Fishburne, you're amazing. Like it was so good. I just had to talk about that. There's one note that I wrote down. I was like, he is, it makes me sad that he didn't live on as the director in other movies, even though Alec Baldwin was great. Mm. And who's four? Who is it? Is there even, is there one in four? Yeah. It's, um, it's the, it's the guy that was in, in charge of the crime family in Batman Begins, uh, it's not Tom Sizemore, but it's... Um, oh, but, but he doesn't have a big role. No, 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 because they're in a car, and it's yes. just like, it's very quickly. Yeah, I know exactly Shot who you're to on about. a trailer with Eminem, so maybe there's just rappers all up on these that I don't even think about. Kanye! But um, right before we get to the Vatican, I too put Morpheus, so good, but then Benji, such a big deal, love Simon Pegg. This was my first Simon Pegg introduction, but knowing all of his stuff, loving his stuff, He's come out and talked about his issues with depression and alcoholism. And really? how he's come back. And he said the majority of it was during this movie. He is so much bigger in this he movie. He really yes. is. So it's like shocking. That, so like this is like him at what he says is his like 
emotional worse so like that's so crazy and, he just and you get gets, like a yes. big movie like a mission impossible franchise and it's still like you just can't deal yes. with it but you don't think he's depressed because he in my opinion has the best lines and we'll get to that end point but like oh, he he's so he's funny. so quippable yes and, and he's it just always gets saving better. ethan's yes. bacon yeah he's he he's crazy the movie goes on so the sure. the break into the vatican is probably one of the smoothest missions of the whole series like the way it's thought out and how they get from one place to another and what they've pre-planned and how they get, it's just brilliant. Everything was thought through. Um, the, my one beef. Oh, you got beef on it. Okay. With the whole sequence. And it's because it feels so out of place and doesn't, it makes no sense. So at the beginning, Ethan Hunt and Jonathan Rice Myers character, who we don't know the name to because it's never said. Uh, yeah, I looked it up. I, I would never. Agent X. Yeah. Um, he, there's a, they fake a broken down truck so that mm-hmm. they can shield the public from Ethan scaling a wall to get inside the complex. So he shoots out the camera. He shoots his little like uh, grapple hook up into the brick and he runs up the wall and it's super cool. And you're like, Ethan, Hunt, super spy, blah, blah, blah. And then he gets to the top of the wall and then the camera zooms in and he looks at the camera and he goes, Humpty Dumpty, sat, Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. And that's it. And it's this weird breaking of the fourth wall where he just looks at the camera and says that. Why? I love it. What he's saying is, he, and again, I don't think he's looking at the camera, but he's looking to the side. He totally looks like he's but looking no, at the camera. But it does camera. look cool, and I think that was the option. But in Ethan Hunt's world where there's not a camera there, he's looking over the side because the camera's right here. And he's saying Humpty Dumpty on the wall. I hear the word you're saying right now. <laughs> Sorry, I am, I am looking to the side. Yes. I have to go with my mic. Listener, so, he is looking yes. over the wall. <laughs> so he, in the world where there is no camera, Ethan Hunt is looking to the side to avoid the actual camera, the security camera to his left. And Humpty Dumpty sound the wall is the code word for his co-worker to take the smoke off and leave. Like that is his. Oh, I've yes. never picked up on that. Yes, Humpty Dumpty sound the wall is like the spy thing is, is like, like, that's I'm up, the I'm word. I'm on yes, the perch. Yes, yeah. that he's in the clear. Okay, so really I'm an idiot. Because <laughs> I was like, but why is he breaking the fourth wall? I never put to, I mean, I get because he's on the wall. Like I'm not an idiot, that much of an idiot. But I never put together that that's what causes yeah. him to It's just, the that's him telling um irish mark paul gossler to to leave with the dhl truck but i do love the whole like fighting with all the italians and by the time he leaves they're all waving at him like yeah. congrats like, like he's yes. made best buds yeah, with yep. these people um so at right after he says that there's a mission impossible staple where he is dangling from a wire just inches above the ground so he rolls off of the wall and just and dangles just inches above the ground i wrote my one beef he takes a laser to shoot how far down, and he does this awesome thing, which they call back in most movies. Yeah. And and the the laser put it in meters. I was like, you're yes. American, Ethan. Why I, meters? I literally had that exact same thought. We're stupid in America. I can acknowledge this. The yeah. metric system works way better, but I was just like, come on. That should have been YDS. Yeah, and then yeah, he yeah. had to do the mental math. And yeah. then He's up there yeah. like with a pen and paper. <laughs> um, and it's funny, too, because I you say that, and I I thought... Does it know to measure the ground, but then only release it with like a foot above where it you're is? You know what, what I mean? You're asking too many smart questions. I know. Well, I mean, some, when you watch these a million times, you start noticing things. Um, the love in this mission, they show the behind the scenes of how the masks are made. My favorite thing in all these movies, because 
as a fan of two, for what it is, there's a lot of masks. Yeah. And I definitely, because that was, you can tell how much of a gap. I was in sixth grade when that first one came out, and I was in, it was my senior year birthday yeah. movie, so it was a big six, six years. Six years, yeah. yeah. So, oh, we were in junior high being like, how they make these, like, we talked about it forever. Yeah. Where are they even getting them? Yeah. How, how, how do you magically have voice modulation? And they show it. Yeah. For for J.J. Abrams being the person, they're like, you always set up these grand, like, mysteries and you never play. Like, he's literally like, I'm going to show you how, like, how it's made. Yeah. It's so cool. It's really, really cool. And you're like, I said that that's honestly the, um, it might be one of the best mask actor switches in the series which is they always do like a camera movement where it's like clear they replace the actor, but it still looks like there's a mask on Philip Seymour Hoffman's face. And so basically in the mission, Ethan Hunt, they're going to kidnap Owen Davian, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, and Ethan Hunt is going to replace him as Owen Davian. So he has to put on a fat suit and he's got to put on a tux and then he has to put the mask on. He's got to do the voice modulation, like the whole nine yards because he's got to sell that he's Owen Davian for at least five minutes to get out the door with Maggie Q. And I love so much that Philip Seymour Hoffman has to play Ethan Hunt dressed up like Owen Davian. I wrote, watching Philip Seymour Hoffman play Tom Cruise is gold, and he should have been nominated for this role. Oh my gosh, I, I'm not kidding. I put Philip Seymour Hoffman bathroom scene is gold. I literally wrote that. Get out of my head, twin. We're twinsies. Oh, that's so weird. We do think and say things a lot that are the same. But I even, honestly, I agree, and his coughs and his mannerisms are so Tom yeah, Cruise. There's, there's two. Right when he puts on the mask, he tells luther that he got married yes and he says congrats and he grabs him by the by like the top of the arm near the shoulder and says thank you thank you and it's that tom cruise energy that like he's jumping on a couch yeah because like well it's so good too because like philip seymour Hoffman in this movie is like very deadpan like i think that's like what makes him so scary too is he's not really emotional and um he's just not volatile like you know what i mean and and so like tom cruise has that like cheesy grin that he does like that like it's literally the thing in my podcast artwork from Risky Business where he's like, yep. <laughs> like, and he does it. You're right. He does it perfect. And then it's the cough and the hand thing it, when he's in the bathroom where you're like, that's freaking exactly yes, what Tom Cruise would do It's it. Tom Cruise. Um, it's so good. And I think the, like, J.J. Abrams does such a good job of, like, um, because it's not a big stunt piece, it's not a big, like, whatever to do. There's a lot of tension with them waiting on things. And so he's in the bathroom, uh, Irish Mark Paul Gossler, <laughs> Jonathan Rice Myers, yep. has, is literally holding Philip Seymour Hoffman behind the door. And the bodyguard comes in and he's like standing right there. You can like see him and he's trying to get his attention, but the voice hasn't uploaded yet. So he can't talk. Otherwise they're going to give it all away. And so he's trying to stall. And then it finally uploads. And have you? Did you catch it this time? Where it starts off, it sounds yes, like it starts Tom like Tom Cruise, and it modulates. And then it over modulates and, yep. into. And then the bodyguard like kind of looks at him, and he's like, "Wait outside," yep. you know, whatever. And you're like, "Man, it's so good!" Like he's J.J. Abrams is so good at that, like building tension with like little things like that. Um, 
and alias was so like that like every mission there would be like something that was like hanging in the balance and of course with a tv show like that on network tv back in the day where there were commercials he would do that so good and then it would just like lead into a commercial and you're like no like ah like when you know and then you'd come back and it would get resolved um but he's so good at that like building the tension um and then my other my one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie so he comes out of the bathroom he flirts with maggie q and they've you know concocted this whole plan that she's gonna he's gonna go back to her hotel room because she spilled wine on his shirt and that's how he got in the bathroom in the first place and so they get in her car and they drive over um a manhole in the ground that they're gonna escape through and then blow up the car and so they drive over the manhole and luther pulls the thing out and then they're just he's like hey what's up He's like, and then Luther's like, not much. What's up with you? And he's like, nothing. And that's like the whole exchange before they like jumped on into this man. And it's so funny because it's Philip Seymour Hoffman being Ethan Hunt, super nonchalant on this man. Like, it's such a great scene. Like, it's so, so good. Totally agree that it should have been nominated. He should have been nominated. Um, so good in this role. And that's this scene. This, this is honestly like the one, two punch of this movie is the Vatican sequence straight into the plane scene that you had referenced earlier, where he's trying to get information. Ethan Hunt is trying to get information out of Owen Davian, and they have him strapped into like a a seat on this plane. And of course, Owen Davian's not giving up the goods because he's a bad guy, and you can't really threaten him. So what does Ethan do? He drags the whole metal seat down into the the giant like bay door of the plane and then just flips him outside the like they're in like thousands of feet up in the air and he's just hanging out there with his face down like you know whatever and he's yelling at him and then he brings out this tool and he just starts ripping the cords off and he's going lower and lower and lower and that ends up being what gives him away it's like his emotion that gets him in trouble because Luther's yelling at him. And so Owen figures out what his name is and that thus they're off to the races. Um, but that scene is what makes Philip Seymour Hoffman in that role. Like that's where you're like, you're the best. Kevin Smith always talks about this movie and this performance. And it's what Philip Seymour Hoffman Hoffman says in this. It's the, you got a wife, you got a girlfriend. I want to find her. I'm going to hurt her. He's saying it. He's the one basically yeah. he's the one handcuffed he's the one strapped down he has no power play and he is overlording like the whole situation yeah he's just dominating yeah and he's like I wanna, he's not even like ethan's asking him questions yeah and he's, he's not, not even he's answering not that's just how he's, he's like, like i love it he's, he's like, just like gonna, antagonizing him she's gonna scream your name and i'm yeah. gonna shoot you in front of her yeah just and then of course like you said gives up nothing yeah but because he breaks ethan and yeah. ethan tries to like he wins yes because yeah. luther and everyone's screaming at ethan to stop and he says you realize that he's now found out his name i'm gonna go back because i know this is about to end your second set piece yeah a couple ahead. more things from the vatican do it hit me with it priest cruise yeah i think this is great because for fun fact for people around uh, the listening area where we reside from, he came from Louisville, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. His parents were from around there. And he wanted to actually become a priest growing yes. up and went to a Franciscan sem- seminary in Cincinnati, Ohio, which is where we it was are. Here? It was here. I didn't know it was Fun here. Fun facts. Oh my God. And then I wrote, What happened? <laughs> so it's like, 
what? Yeah. Acting's more my gig. I don't know. I meant more the other religious yeah. uh, angle he took, but you know. He's like, I'm too happy right now. He's like, I'm too happy to be stuck in a in a seminary where they're just, you know. But it is funny. It is a nice callback that that's what he wanted to And um, then I had do. one other thing. Oh, I wrote, come on, JJ. <laughs> Ethan hardly has his shirt off. He only takes his shirt off to get in the fat suit to be <laughs> Owen Day. Whereas like Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation shirtless through no. whole scenes yes no. rogue no. nation he's like he's shirtless yes. for a whole yeah this and is you're like, this is tom cruise in his prime I this know. is why it didn't make as much money i know he's like man you didn't take your shirt off you I'm have one saying. black t you you're, you're actually dressed like chase the net at the gym <laughs> one black crew neck t-shirt through the whole movie come on man shake it up take it off <laughs> um that's hilarious um, okay, so the next big set piece is the bridge. This is after they they're transporting Owen Daving when they when they land on the plane from the plane. He's in an armored car. Um, this is the Tom Cruise is running. He runs back and forth from that van a million times, mm-hmm. which I'm like, dude, just why didn't you grab it the first time? Yep, I wrote run number one of the movie. Not even the best one, but it's a lot of them. Oh, I know this isn't the best one. You're right. Um, I just put Tom Cruise is running. That's like his. They actually, I will say, this is a really cool, it's not a cool set piece in that, like, the stunt is particularly, like, innovative, but it's shot really well. It's it's shot, I said, this this movie doesn't have the huge stunts of 4, 5, and 6, but they're shot in a way that makes them feel so much bigger. Can I tell you what I wrote? It's what? not word for word. You're not going to get freaked out. But I wrote, it may not be the flashiest stunt he does, but the movie doesn't need that. <laughs> It's similar. <laughs> it is very true. And like, honestly, the best shot of the whole movie is in the scene where he's running and in the, the jet, the huge explosion. And then he gets thrown against the car. And it's, it's the first, like it was the, that stunt right there was the precursor to four, five and six of like, this is yes. Tom Cruise doing yes, this. Because usually in some form of stunt work, you hit that car you fall down, you keep your head on the ground so you don't see stuntman's face. Whereas right. this, he looks straight up as the drone goes by because it's Tom Cruise. Yeah. We got to see it's Tom Cruise doing it. Yeah. How dare we not assume it's not Tom yeah. Cruise? Dang it. You know, so. Yeah. And, and that was in the trailer. Body just gets that, I remember into the, the car. trailer sold me on this movie. Yeah. With that shot. Oh, it's like, it's solid. And there's a huge. So one of the. Basically, okay, so on the bridge, Owen Davian, armored car. They get attacked by these planes coming in, shooting missiles, um, and it's a rescue mission to, for them to get Owen Davian, right? So, but there's civilians everywhere. So, the, like Luther and Irish Mark Paul Gossler and Maggie Q and Ethan Hunt are all trying to mitigate civilian losses, but also not let Owen Davian get away. Well, in the process of all this, a huge chunk of the bridge gets taken out. So, there's a huge hole. And as luck would have it, a car on fire on the other side. So what does Ethan Hunt have to do? He has to jump. And it's not that big of a hole because he can jump across it. But the way the camera moves and it it shows it from underneath and it shows him like throwing his gun across and then he jumps slow-mo over this giant hole. And I was like, this is not like compared to him, like, riding on the side of a plane or flying his own helicopter or jumping out of the back of a, it's nothing compared to that. But the way that they shot it, it seems a lot bigger than it actually is. And I think that whole sequence is, that would be true of that whole sequence 
where it's it is dangerous obviously they're getting shot with missiles and stuff but he's not he's running and he's shooting and he's jumping that's it that's yeah, basically I, all he's I doing wrote, i wrote the same thing because if in like fallout his big injury thing he made a jump that's easily twice that length yeah and it's not that tom cruise ethan hunt can't do it it's just it's uneven it's yeah. frenetic he's been running back and forth it just again it shows the humanity of like the dude gets tired <laughs> yes whereas like in my opinion 12 13 years later him doing that in fallout he should have been tired but now we've right. made him like now he has to be super he's a superhuman yeah mid 50s and has to yeah. keep it going but he is a super in, in mid 2000s he can be the new husband yeah. hasn't had much sleep just needs to try to save everyone right it is interesting and i think too like there's not a lot of um set pieces and missions in mission impossible that have so many civilians around and I think that's an interesting dynamic of that scene because there's a woman that gets shot and Ethan's like woman down and like Luther has to go like help her. So now Luther's like out of the equation. You know what I mean? So I think that's an interesting kind of twist on that. Um, set piece four is Shanghai. So he has to go get the rabbit's foot, which is another J.J. Abrams classic um, staple, the mystery box where it doesn't really matter what's in the box. And there's a literally a TED talk by J.J. Abrams, where he talks sure about the watched, mystery yes. box. Yes. Um, People do not like this, and I don't get why. I don't either. Who cares what it is? It doesn't matter. So for people who don't know, he talked about, I think it's Kelvin, uh, his grandpa, gave yeah. him a, a gift, which was a box and as a kid. It's like and a he magician's said, thing, yes, right? because he loved magic growing up. And he said he has never opened it because in his mind, the idea of what he could imagine it could be will always be greater than, than what it, it's going to be actually yeah. when he opens it. And a lot of people take criticism. It's like, so then basically you're hyping up your plot lines to never have any substance. Yeah. But in a way, it's almost the viewer or reader's fault with overhyping it then. Like, I don't know. I, I love the idea of what an imagination of something, what something could be way more. Yeah. What is the rabbit's foot? It's a MacGuffin. Every movie has a MacGuffin. You could spend time in your plot of your movie's runtime explaining this MacGuffin, yeah. which doesn't make sense and no one cares by the end of the like movie. Chimera like Chimera in Mission like, Impossible 2. It doesn't matter. What did we have? Three different flashbacks to explain that? Yeah. Yes. Or just say... It wouldn't have changed the movie. Yes. It needs to be in this guy's hands Yeah. or your wife dies. That's it. That's all you That's need all to know. That's all you need to yes. know. You don't need to know what it does. So it's called the rabbit's foot, which I love. And, um, and there's a great little scene at the end of the movie where he's like, he's like, what was the rabbit's foot? And like Lawrence Fishburne's character is like, if you promise to come back, I'll tell you. And he's like, I'll see you dude. And never gets the explanation. Um, but I think that's such an interesting because, because JJ's movies are not plot driven. They are character driven. So it doesn't matter. It literally doesn't. And I, so he goes to Shanghai. He has to get the rabbit's foot from this building. And I said, it's literally like, much like the actual rabbit's foot, seeing how he steals it is not important. So this mission, which would have been completely drawn out in literally any of the other Mission Impossible movies, is cut short. So he, we figure out how he makes it onto the building and then he's like, 
I'll be out in five minutes. I wrote, ooh, <laughs> Ethan can does maths. Yeah. <laughs> on the window, he does, he does his he fulcrum. A, yes, he has he a does, beautiful yes. mind moment on the window. I actually love that. I love that scene. He like outlines the buildings on the window with like like chalk paint or whatever. And he's like, yeah, doing the little angles and the fulcrum math and like all this stuff. And we're like, oh my gosh, he's like a mathematician as well. Who yep. knew? Does the jump. And then we're in the car and they're like, he, we, he's we, supposed he, he's to be out be here. here. We got to yeah. go. And then he's like, hot hot and explosions and he runs out yeah we, we do not see him go in the building you don't see anything all. you have no idea where the rabbit's foot is you don't know what it's lo- what it looks like but it doesn't matter because the whole tension of the scene is that he has to get it in enough time to call owen davian so that he can get to his wife and that's yes. the whole point point. and like in fallout you have a big set piece moment where two nukes are going to go off warheads and you, we got to get to a place to turn this one off and turn this one off. Oh, there's so much specifics. And, and, yeah. And it's it's high tension. I can see why some people might be like, this is a TV budget version. But in this scene, it's like, I got to make a phone call. There's no cell reception. We got to get this van out, out of yeah. the main city. Yeah. That's your tension. But because of how it's shot, there's still tension. Yeah. I'm still like, he got to get the phone call. Get the phone call. He got to get the phone call. Get out of there. Keep driving. Keep, keep driving. Come on, Mark Paul and Gosling. Then, and I remember, I remember they made such a big deal of the stunt where he opens the door and slides out, which seems so infinitesimal compared to every yeah. other oh, thing. Yeah. So sophomore yeah. and ease as he just slides out to shoot a tire off. But of, of course, he's strapped in and it's such yeah. a cool thing that's, yeah. that Tom Cruise is actually doing it. Yes. No, I totally <laughs> agree. And it's like, but I love that. Like, I kind of like the... JJ's kind of like that sometimes, where he kind of sticks it to the man sometimes, where he's like, oh, you want to know what the rabbit's foot is? Guess what? You don't need to know what it is. And that's it. And it's like... And it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Yeah, because I, I would say the budget for two was a lot more. And you brought it up a little, but you actually... They keep the frame on the guys taking their masks off. That's a lot of CG work to yeah. put one to the other. He very cleverly spends zero money on it by just cutting away. Yeah. Just like going behind the back. Just behind the back Luther, so you can make yeah. a cut or yeah. zooming in on Maggie Q so Tom Cruise and Philip Seymour are going to switch real yeah. quick. Very easy way to do it. Saves them a lot of money. Yeah. Because I, I, that was a big thing about this movie is how overinflated the budget was on the second one. He, being a TV director, yeah. one of the... Perks is like, hey, you can you can cheat some stuff and be, save us frugal. some money. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so show us how you can save us yeah, some yeah. Benjamins. Yeah, exactly. No, I think that's true. And then uh, set piece five is the Chinese village at the end of the movie. It's going to be hard to talk about this without spoiling anything. But su- suffice to say that there's a lot of hand-to-hand combat in this. A lot of what I would say is bringing the story full circle, which I appreciated. Um. And the best Tom Cruise running scene of the whole movie, maybe of the franchise, he is hauling it. I think it's the best run of the franchise. And it's not as much the running, which this is more of his prime age-wise. He is doing much sprinting. Whereas when you see Fallout and you're like, all right, he's running. You're like, he's hobbling. But he's not sprinting. Yeah. And we know he did a lot of that. He yeah. had a broken foot, yeah. which is still crazy of him, and that's awesome. But how they got the camera to move so in sync with that run, that tracking shot makes the run even better. And then yeah. it has to slowly zoom out because he starts turning. It just it looks so good. 
and it, you say like, oh, this movie, he base base jumps out of a plane, Halo jumps, this movie, what's this one? I mean, he had to yell at a lot of people to get out of his way as he ran <laughs> in down. In Chinese, yes. yeah. He, and honestly, like, I feel like I either saw an interview somewhere or read an article where like the camera was having a hard time keeping up with Tom. Like, cause he was full out sprinting I, and I, it looks like it. You're yes. like, Oh my gosh. And he didn't do one take. I'm sure he had to He's do that a lot. So fast. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Kind of want to leave the last set piece. I don't want to talk too much about it without spoiling anything, but did you have anything in there that I said, my mom loved Benji in the scene because basically the difference in this movie, like in the first one, he has to sneak into Langley because yes. he has been disavowed. Yes. This one, he has to sneak out of Langley. Yes. Being a fugitive, yeah. disavowed, whatever words you want to use. And while in Shanghai, he calls Benji to help him. Yeah. And Benji, being very green at his job and not being part of the crew because he's not on in the field yet, which yeah. is a big deal in other movies. Yeah. Um, the back and forth is so funny. And my mom, I love her to death. Uh, she cackles when she laughs. And I just remember very <laughs> succinctly in the theater kind of squirming in my seat because everything that he was saying she was reacting to yeah. and it was very loud but that's i awesome. i always it, i always think that's great because he, like, oh, he is now so I'm funny a traitor. yeah like he's he's like acting nonchalant when people walk by and he's saying like hold please on this phone call it he's like maybe we can share a jail cell like it's <laughs> it's, it's it's great that's awesome um Okay, so some of the J.J. staples that I pointed out, which I'm sure you have a lot. Oh, I have one from the scene. Ooh, yes. Someone dies. Don't want to say who. Yeah. Um, gets plummeted, and one shoe survives. <laughs> That's pretty great. That is a call, not a call back, but he does it also in The Force Awakens. A wrath tart eats one of the kanji club guys, and a boot just stays there. Oh, yeah. I don't know what the callback is, but maybe it's like, maybe it's funny if just like, you know, yeah. shoes oh, left shoe. over. Yeah. Boop, there's a shoe. Um... Okay, so JJ staple number one, nonlinear storytelling. So starting at the end and then looping back around to see how we got there is classic JJ. Um, that setup is exactly how the alias pilot is set up. It opens on a scene with Jennifer Garner with bright red hair, with her face shoved into a thing of water. It's and coming back trying, to me. Yeah, yep. and her trying to breathe. And then them pulling her out and yelling at her in Chinese. And you're like, I don't know what the heck is going on. This I don't even know who this person is. Um, and then it cuts to it's the classic JJ where like she there's this it's Michael Giacchino, the horns, and she's looking at the door, she's looking at the door, somebody's coming in to like do something to her, and the door opens and it's her college professor, and now all of a sudden we're in her her college classroom. And you're like, wait, what? And she has brown hair and everything's like normal. Very much what he did with the theme in between. Um, we already talked about the mystery box, the rabbit's foot. Um, JJ staple of all time, Greg Grunberg, who yep. is in all of his stuff. He calls him his good luck charm. They've been buddies since what? Kindergarten. Yes. You have a, you have a buddy. You get famous and make movies. You put your buddy in the movie. That's how it works. So in Alias, he's actually like, has a big part. Oh, he's okay. He's like, he's he's uh, a CIA agent. He's Vaughn, the the CIA handler, Sydney's CIA handler's little sidekick. And he's throughout the whole show. Oh, gotcha. Um, so he's got a big part in Alias. But he plays the pilot in Lost, right? Yes. That's right. He 
Um, I was introduced to him in Heroes, and he has a decent role, and there's no attachment to J.J. Abrams. Yeah. So I didn't know about this The J.J. connection. Until Star Trek. Star Trek, uh, when Kirk is now, um, obviously, if you see the movie. Yeah, I have uh, seen him. No, no, I watched him because yes, of you. Yes. Um, a, no one knows who you are, but you're about to be real famous. Chris Hemsworth dies yes. sacrificing his son, uh, sacrificing himself to save his wife and son. She remarries, and he's in the young Kirk steals the stepdad's car. Yeah, he's the he's the he's calling. He's the stepdad. You nice. don't even see him, but it's a phone call. And I was like, why would he be in such a small role? And I read about that, and I looked back, and I was like, he was the pilot. He did do this, and it even spreads further out because he's he's talked about it recently. He met through JJ Bradley Cooper in an Alias. So when yeah. a Star Wars board came out, he's like, I got enough clout. I'm just like, hey, Brad. You're directing movies now. Let me be a driver. Put and me yep, in there. And yeah. He, he did it. He's the limo yep. driver. Yeah. That's so funny. He, Greg Grumberg's the best. He just pops up. He has some really great bloopers in Alias where he's just like totally goofing off. He just seems like a fun guy. Um, okay. So uh, let's see. What other JJ said? Because I want to do that before I get to the Alias stuff. I don't know where it's at, but his dad always makes a cameo. And I think he was at one of the langley round tables i'm, uh, I'm not positive but jj's he all, in it did you see his camera i did not see his camera he's in the hospital when he's trying oh, to find he's one of the doctors that's okay. at the thing he's like calling nice um jj staple lens flares we've already covered that there's um, one lost thing that you might not have seen um a yeah, character needs to be resuscitated <laughs> and is, it doesn't is. work and it gets very score driven very hope is lost yeah so instead of the Heimlich, they start basically punching the chest cavity, like basically thumping on Just it. Just trying to get the heart. The beat for beat a scene in Lost Season 1. Beat, literally beat for beat. There's so much of that And what's in here. funny is, it, they're not related, but Michelle Monaghan is, is involved in that scene, not saying she's not the one dying, but she's the one thumping. Yeah. In, the, in Lost, Dominic Monaghan is the guy that's not alive but oh they're trying gosh, to revive are you serious? yes and they're not related but i just think that's hilarious that's crazy so were there any other specific lost references that you picked up on no like it may have been too close to lost i know he probably wrote this and was working on it around the same time lost came out so i feel like there's probably fewer and it's not in the same spy universe that yeah, alias it, is in. i i can see why he would want to put more of his alias isms in this yeah. movie and um yeah, lost, lost being very sci-fi mystery. Just the, the thematically didn't yeah. super gel with what this movie was doing. Okay, so I'm gonna run through. I have a lot of alias stuff. Oh, good. And I don't know any of this, so I'm excited to so, to hear. Literally, this overall, it is the same premise as the show. It is a spy who wants to get out of the spy life because of their civilian life. Um, and they're, and they have to hide their identity from their civilian friends and family. So the whole setup of this is literally alias. Um, when he answers the phone at the party and it says, um, ready travel resort services. And he, that's like his cue to go meet his handler on alias. It's Joey's pizza. And she says, I'm sorry, you have a wrong number. And that's how she knows to go meet her handler. Just like I discussed with the drink situation. So she meets her handler at a 7-Eleven in episode two of Alias. 
There's a whole scene about Slurpees. So they got that, that callback there. Um, the adrenaline shot to the heart is a total, that's almost a scene for scene, line for line remake of a scene from Alias in like season four. Um, and I know that's not the first time Pulp Fiction's kind of like the, the big, mm-hmm. like adrenaline, yep. like whatever. So I'm sure it's almost, it was probably an homage to that and alias and then was stolen again <laughs> for this. Um, the graveside ceremony with the flashbacks is big. Um, in the flashbacks, Carrie Russell's character is assembling a gun blindfolded. There is a whole storyline in alias about Sidney Bristow literally doing that. Um, in the flashbacks, the training sequences where she's fighting with the bow staffs with him, very similar cinematography to the training sequences for Sidney Bristow and Alias. Um, Alias has a babbling, nerdy tech, just like Simon Pegg. Um, although I feel like that's kind of a trope of the genre. Um, so I don't know that it's like necessary, but he is a very Marshall Flinkman vibe in Alias. Benji does in this movie. Um, the secret meeting with your civilian other half on the rooftop with the line, I need you to trust me is a literal ripoff from alias. Um, in the Vatican sequence, the breaking in underwater while scuba diving and the fire, like basically like burning through like the iron grate, totally a thing that happened in alias multiple times. Um, Owen Davian's bodyguard is also a bodyguard in alias that Sydney totally beats up, but he's, huge Mm -hmm. he's like seven five he's like gigantic um that's how i recognized him i was like that guy's an alias he's so ginormous um when they're rescuing owen davian on the bridge the destructive foam that disintegrates the side of the armored car totally used in an alias episode um the checking in at the airport so he goes when he's fleeing to go to shanghai there's a scene where he's dressed as like a not homeless, but a really rundown like Czechoslovakian Czechoslovakian man. I put creepy hippie man. That yes. Um, but the checking in that scene of him checking in at the airport and using a disguise as well as a diversion tactic to distract the agent from not looking at the passport for too long is in the pilot of Alias. But her version of it is she dyes her hair red um, to match the passport. And then she distracts the, uh, agent by, um, asking her what color lip, what color lipstick she wears that she loves it. She's like totally pops. Like she's trying to distract her from looking at the um, thing. And that's a total alias. Uh, it's not a scene that they needed to show. You got it. He got it to Shanghai. We don't really need to know how he got there, but that's a total alias callback. And the last one is, um, at the end, someone is tied to a dentist chair and that is directly from the pilot of Alias. So there's a lot of stuff, like a lot of callbacks that that actually people who watched Alias, I think, actually came out. And it, it was probably more of an homage and kind of a I view it as like a it's a fun little nod to people who love the show because it's not overt enough to be like oh, it's Alias, but it feels like an Alias episode, much bigger, and with Tom Cruise instead of Jennifer Garner. Like, that's what it feels like. Um, But there was this article that I I came across, because I actually was trying to look up last night, like, what the actual, like, connections were between the two. 
Um, and the title it's, it's on slate, but the title of the article is JJ Abrams self plagiarist, <laughs> which I loved. <laughs> and it says how the mission impossible three director recycles all of his best tricks. Um, let me see here if I can find what it says. Okay. So it says the similarities similarities are hard to overlook in both Mission Impossible 3 and Alias. Abrams presents us with ass-kicking leads who are all torn up because they can't tell their loved ones what they do for a living. And perhaps because they're sick of yammering about their boring cover jobs, Ethan Hunt studies traffic patterns and Sydney Bristow works at a bank. Ethan isn't sure whether his government bosses are good or evil. Neither is Sydney. All Ethan wants is to retire. Same goes for Agent Bristow. What else do the super spies have in common? Handlers who insist on covert meetings in convenience stores. Good friends with explosives implanted in their heads. That is a plot line from Alias. Tech-savvy chatterbox sidekicks. And a firm belief that the best way for a gorgeous lady spy to go undercover is to look even hotter than she already is. <laughs> Which was a reference to Maggie Q at the Vatican. Um, in Alias, Jennifer Garner is forever sashaying through emb embassy parties and skin-tight gowns with plunging necklines. In Mission Impossible 3, when Crew's teammate Maggie Q crashes a soiree at the Vatican, she knows that a bright orange dress slid up to her hip flexor is the key to cocktail herself. <laughs> then there's the Abrams flashback fixation. In Mission Impossible 3, Abrams starts in the middle of the action, then cuts back in time a few days. It's a fresh way to add suspense, or it would be if Abrams hadn't already used the exact same time-bending gimmick in the Alias pilot and the post-Super Bowl episode from season two, and the one where Sydney goes to North Korea in season three. When you think about it, most episodes of Lost, which feature scenes from the island intercut with flashbacks, use this structure too. Um, Abrams may see this device as a, sig as a signature, but some feel it might be a crutch, which I thought was interesting. Um, Abrams also recycles a few visual cues. Both the show and the movie include elaborate Vatican break-ins, I forgot about that on the show, and spies in scuba gear using blowtorches on underwater grates, and good guys strapping or good guys strapped to evil looking dentist chairs. It, it says right here. Um, he says, but the ideas he's mustered for this film are for the most part ideas he's mustered before. Perhaps Abram is just winking at his oldest fans. At one point, the underline, the underling spy played by Jonathan Rice Myers, sick of taking orders via walkie talkie grumbles. All I ever do is copy. But from where I'm sitting, it's pretty easy to confuse that wink with a remarkably lazy eye. And I think that's an interesting take on the movie. Especially, you haven't seen Alias, so it doesn't feel the same to you. But having watched the show multiple times, and you watch it, and I'm not slamming JJ, because I love JJ to death. But you're like, wow, yep, that's from, yep, that's from, oh, he did that in Alias. Like, and so it is really interesting, and I think, but I think more for me, like this article says, calls him lazy for doing such. Um, but I would say that JJ knows what works and he tends to stick to that. And I think that I disagree. I think the nonlinear storytelling, um, is kind of a JJ Abrams signature and I don't think it's a crutch. Um, I think it's a, I think you kind of know what you're getting into, but I also feel like he, he hasn't done that always. Um, no, I would also say we already mentioned that they wanted to help take the budget down a notch which would help with a movie directed by a guy that does tv but also he was the third choice yes by the time so the first director was david fincher mm -hmm. 
Yep. I cannot imagine what that movie had been like. It had been so cool because he's it's he's so dark. Yeah. Like a, it would have been so different. Yes. Yes. And even the second one, um, I forget who the director was, but he had this like mind trippy like 60s, 70s, trying to make a callback to the original series type thing with oh, an added yeah, yeah, twist. Yeah. Had a cast, villain, Kenneth Brogna. Yeah. Carrie Ann Moss. Yep. And Scarlett Johansson. And then. Like that cast is insane. Doesn't work. They're still on, but it's in pre-production for the movie. Director leaves. They get. That's why Tom Cruise had to binge Alias because they didn't have much time to get someone else. And like, this guy's great. Who's doing spy movies? Who's doing spy stuff right now? (laughs) Now you can. I'm not. And again, you're saying don't slam J.J. Abrams. I'm saying. Don't slam Tom Cruise, but we know who had the biggest boots producer-wise of all oh. these movies. The first two directors basically left because their vision, quote-unquote, was not going to get met by a production company that by the third one they said they were experts at what they wanted. Yeah. So I'm thinking, not there, not even a fly on the wall, but just looking at all the facts, I'm thinking Tom Cruise watched the first two seasons of Alias. I want that scene in went, the movie. <laughs> yes, went to JJ and said, I want this in that movie. Yeah. You only got a couple weeks to write the script. Why not? Just, Just throw it in there. Throw, throw yeah. something together. Yeah. They recasted everyone. Yeah. Ironically, they took one Matrix main character know, out and added, and added another one in. That is true. But, and it works. Now, again, yeah. I don't see those callbacks because I didn't see Alias, right. but I'm also the kind of person that said, I love this movie the most before I was a quote-unquote J.J. Abrams fan. Yeah. I jokingly say that um, Michael Bay has terrible movies, but I actually liked Armageddon, written by J.J. Abrams. I had no idea, yeah. and I'm like, what? 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 It's just meant yeah. to be, I guess. Yeah. But I just think it's interesting. It's an interesting, like, um, I don't know. It's an interesting take on... Mission Impossible mm-hmm. 3 because I think for most people like Alias was a very niche audience um, it was probably like a little bit ahead of its time um, but really paved the way for a lot of things um, specifically I think for um, women action roles I think it had a huge to do with that um, but it also put J.J. Abrams on the map because it was nominated for a lot of Emmys and a lot of Golden Globes. And he fights for that stuff. I yeah. don't know if you're... Do you remember the show Undercovers yes. that he put up? Two not white yeah. actress and actor. Like, it was breaking at the time. Network TV, like, no yes. one had leads that looked like this. Yeah. And guess what? It lasted like eight episodes. You know, yeah. so... But he is always trying to champion that. Yeah. You can't imagine how many dudes got all twisted up about a star wars trilogy that was going to be led by a woman yeah or the first shot of that teaser where there was a an african-american black stormtrooper yeah. and everyone's like Aah! like he, yeah. he he doesn't care and when we you talked about the star wars thing at the front can you imagine being in that position like we want to make you make these movies they <laughs> need to make the a lot yeah the other three, the prequels, people hated. You yep. got to get them on board, but Good you also got to get the people that like the originals on board. Maybe he remade A New Hope again. I don't even care. But what else could he have done? The Force Awakens is still my favorite yes. of the new trilogy. I agree. I just love it. I just love it so much. And because, again, he gets someone, it. someone talked about that too. He's like, have you ever gone back and watched A New Hope? 
It's told literally. There's no spaces of time that is literally like start of day to the end of the movie. We've watched the progression of time. There's no cuts. There's yeah. just the progression of how the yeah. he's gone. No one cares about the story. They're seeing, ooh, princess, droids. It's characters. It's the same thing with Fortress. Oh. It's the same thing about how like, hey, make a Star Trek new trilogy with an entire group of cast that we know the originals and we care about these characters, but make them cool, make them young. And also make a ton of money in a new franchise. Yeah. Did it. He did it with two star franchises. Like the guy. He's really yes. good at rebooting franchises. I mean, and he, and you could effectively say, I know it didn't make, again, it was the least like amount of money in the box office, but he rebooted Mission Impossible. The whole premise of the last three movies hangs on episode three because of who he is as a person. Yep. Um, so, I mean, you really have to give J.J. Abrams credit where yes. credit is due. And and in this time frame, we are now like, oh, gosh. So when we recorded the second one, The Rise of Skywalker had literally just come out. Yes. And movie theaters were still open. <laughs> there's, not a, been, there's not been many movies. It was such a beautiful yeah, day. There's not been many movies this year. So a lot of people still find it in their hearts to still complain about The Rise of Skywalker. So J.J., in the time of this recording gets a lot of chrisms i think is just so unfounded like yeah. i don't think it there's merit to it and if you want to make things like make arguments that there's tricks like a De Palma dutch angle is a trick yeah a john woo slow-mo is yeah. the doves is a, it's you want to call it a trick it can also be a signature it can be something that that guy is known for like i think john williams is one of the greatest composers ever made yeah i think his scores all sound a lot alike <laughs> because he uses the same tone yeah. same with jacchino every director has his own style yeah george lucas borrowed from kurosawa he yeah. watched a bunch of old movies yeah and that made and then now people are watching star wars and influencing them to do this yeah it's it's all part yes. of the there's nothing new under the sun you just take what you what is the joseph campbell like the, the hero's journey there's only five stories like yeah. man versus man man versus Nate. like there's yeah. only f so many ways you can tell a story yeah and i happen to like how he tells it i do too and i think it's because and we kind of keyed in on this in the beginning but it is because he focuses on the characters and like undoubtedly the most like i would say the most emotional of the mission impossible mm -hmm. franchise because the stakes are so personal yeah because they I've I've heard arguments for like there's so many medium and close up shots in this, yeah. which is also a very television type thing. Yeah. But I don't, uh, to my knowledge, I don't remember Ethan Hunt crying. No. I've never seen him that close to show emotion as he's thinking. Yeah. His wife is about to get shot in the head. Like, yeah. It 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 brings you in way more than just these like, um, and as much as I love 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 ghost protocol like because the big thing at that time in 2011 was just like we want because of nolan we want imax cameras like there's a lot of these great stunts and you're showing the widest yeah. aspect ratio possible you're not really getting into those you're not getting deep emotion emotion yeah. intimate moments and that is really borrowed from tv because you are investing in these characters and kudos to someone who can take characters you've just met and you only have two hours to tell a story yeah. and get them invested. 1000%. He knows how to set that mm -hmm. up. Like he knows how to like get you to feel for these characters. And um, I think that's why TV is kind of his bread and butter or these franchises that have characters that are already established because that's his thing is now, character. 
I've not watched it, and I promised you I'll watch it. Yeah. But in Alias, her father. Yep. Is she estranged with him in any way? Yes. Oh, yes. yes. That is his thing. Yeah. Lost, a son and his dad. Fringe, a son and his dad. Now, there's not a parental thing, but there's it, when it's about family, yeah. there's always just some, like, he can just twist the emotional heartstrings just a little bit more because it's always about getting over this conflict. And honestly, I don't think you could ever go into that type of role, but like an Ethan Hunt being the way he is because his parents, like they did that kind of like the, in my opinion, the best bond movie of my lifetime skyfall. It deals with like, yeah, 1000% going back into generate. Like there's just something about lineage, about relations with parents, siblings, spouses. Yeah, Yeah. It's it. It's a very TV thing. But it gets you invested because at least in these movies, the main character we know because yeah. they're franchises. Yeah. It might be different directors directing it. There might be different directors of the IMF, which yeah. I love that she, he actually like explains that it's called the Impossible Mission Force <laughs> out loud. She laughs. And she's like, wait, what? Because <laughs> it does sound stupid. Yes. Just like. They just kind of leaned you know, into it. Yeah. yeah. They're like, yeah, we know it's it's dumb. Like MI6 or any of yeah. these. Like, it all sounds stupid. Yeah. Spy organizations inherently, all yeah. of it sounds dumb. Yeah. You play make-believe. You're uh, in Goldeneye. You're boys with toys. That's all you are. Yeah. Like, and, but it works, and I love it. Yes. And, it's so great. And again, one you've not watched, but I recently rewatched Tropic Thunder, which is what a lot of people think is the movie that got mission impossible 4 made because it revamped his career i from could being, see that i've seen like, like i know who he plays in the movie and i could totally see but just seeing that like honestly if this is how it ended it was a peaceful little piano note yeah as they're walking i'd have been fine with it they yeah. walked in the sunset yeah i even wrote um and they live heavily live happily ever uh because you know like because you he's closed it off but then there's more yeah but Macquarie ended up three moves later tying even a better bow. Yes. And now, just like move like most episodic stuff, like that's a plot line that is filled, and then you don't have to worry about it anymore. Yeah. But because of that character is why I had some beef with four and five because yeah. it's like they just kind of ignored. I even wrote it at the beginning of this one because again, these are these movies that interchangeable. Uh, Bond girls, but yeah. like, I was like, where's Naya? Yeah. Where's Naya? Where's uh? Where did Anthony Hopkins go? Like, yeah. did, you, did you take a vacation? But because it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Ethan. Yeah. Although, at the it is mid July, near late July when we're recording this. Did you read the Tandy Newton like big expose interview that came out like a week or two ago? I skimmed. I think I read part of it. I didn't read the whole thing. She had a a bit about Mission Impossible Two. What did she say? Like just so the great scene of the like feel better oh, like yeah, that, that yeah. whole scene <laughs> apparently they were having such a bad time going over those lines because the script was not great yeah she talks about how like poor john woo doesn't speak much english so you can tell that tom cruise is trying his best but it's not working and it, she's talking about him like getting within the span of this take within the span of this one shot a stress 
zit, like acne, so bad that she says is just growing before her eyes on his. Like <laughs> he's like, she talks about how he's so passionate about everything. Like she's like, this thing was growing with a vigor. Like it is, That's it is so hilarious. great. Hilarious. And that she said she was never asked back, and I was just like, it's not a lost reference in this one, but the cold open in four is Josh Holloway, who's a huge character yes. in Lost. Sawyer, right? Yes, and I. I would love to see more JJ even more because he's still a producer. He still produces, yeah. and that's his thing. Like he'll he'll just he can start something and just let it go and yeah. just keep keep a little bit Bad influence. Robot, because that's who's producing it. I only that was yeah. the tag. Was that tag on the end of all the lost episodes? Yes. Bad robot. Yes. Yeah, that's JJ Abrams' produ- production company. Um, all right. Do you have any other things to chat about for three before I jump into the trivia? I have a lot of trivia. Ooh, trivia. Um, no, because uh, uh, you know, don't want to don't want to spoil them. too much. You really, you really should. I know, but I will say, I will say, you are revealed the um, someone that you don't know if they're good or bad. Yes, they become bad, and it is a perfect shot of someone. And them coming in out of focus in a rack focus reveal. And I think is one of the greatest shots. Yes. In this. And the music turns just like a, just like a horror movie. Like, yeah. A, oh, yeah. Like the I, string just kind of goes like, it's beautiful. So good. And so, so good. the one thing also, I think some people, when spy movies, they're going to introduce to you something in the beginning, towards the end, the first act. And then you have what's called a callback. I think a lot of people especially in movies, kind of wink way too hard at it because oh. they don't want people to miss it. Yeah. I like that a lot of things that J.J. Abrams does doesn't make me feel like an idiot. Yeah, he... he, he my big thing he trusts is... Trust the audience. Not many gadgets in this movie. Yeah. But he overhears his, at the time, fiance having a conversation in the in the kitchen. Yeah. And he well, he's, just... Well, he's reading their lips. Yes. Yeah. But he just says, oh, it's, it's Lake, Lake Monica. Monica. And, and they're like, how'd you hear? And then they don't have to reference it. But when his boss is trying to say something in front of a security camera, he says it and then starts mouthing and there's subtitles. You don't have to know like, what is this some tactic he just learned? Like You're like, oh no, you he did it earlier at the you, party. Yes. Whereas I feel a lot of movies have to be like, there was a thing. Like they have Remember? to call, like they have to call, like they literally have to f- show you the scene again of him reading, like yeah. oh, flashback to when he said, he can Lake read, Monica. Yes, like, yeah, he can read lips. Yeah. Like, thank you, JJ, for not forget. having to hold my hand so yeah. bad. Like we, as the audience, and it's kind of one of those things too that, like, if you don't pick up on it, it's not a big deal. Exactly, it doesn't ruin the plot. You know what I mean? Like, you don't have to get that connection in order for it to make sense. But yeah. it's it is a nice nod of like, oh yeah, he did do that yes. earlier, and he movie. used it again to make sure that he was talking to Julia who he wanted to make sure yes. he used that conversation as yeah. the, as a as a test. Yeah. I just think I, that's it's good storytelling. Yes. Um okay, I agree 100%. Let's dive into some trivia. Um because it's it's going to take a while cuz I have a lot. Um so as the production could do nothing about inquisitive crowds watching them while they were filming in Rome, they actually set up a phony second unit a little further away hired several girls in bikinis and several older women dressed as nuns and pretended to be filming takes for the film while the main unit filmed undisturbed. 
Now, what I want to know is if you if you were in Rome and you were like, oh my gosh, they're filming the Mission Impossible, and then you walked over and saw a bunch of women in bikinis and a bunch of nuns, what would cross your mind? I would think there's a Fast and Furious crossover about to happen. <laughs> it's so like a, weird. Like a Pitbull song should be hitting up like, ooh And also, where's Whoopi Goldberg? <laughs> like, yeah, it's like the weirdest. Like, I just was like, what a specific, like, weird thing to do. And I know that people do that a lot. Like, they'll do, try and just th- throw off or they'll like, I'm sure, because, my gosh, you would know where filming locations, they put up a phony name for the movie so that people don't know. It's not like Mission Impossible 3 starring Tom Cruise. Like, so that everybody's like crowding the the set. I just like died laughing. I was like, could you imagine? I was trying to imagine my, because we were in DC many moons ago and they were filming Hannibal. The movie. The movie. With Julianne Moore. With Julianne Moore. And it was a car stunt. It was somebody sliding across the hood of a car and then shooting a gun. And I want to say it was her stunt double. I, I, we were young. I was like in middle school, so I don't really remember it. Um, but uh, I remember being like, but every, there was a bunch of people standing around because everyone was like, they're filming a movie over here, like whatever. And I was like imagining that. But then you go, you're like, oh, cool. And then you go over there and you're like, why are these women in bikinis and nuns hanging out? That's so weird. Um. So at the time, I know that this cannot be true anymore. But with a budget of $150 million, this is the most expensive movie ever undertaken by a first-time feature film director. Now, I know that's not true because Marvel and Jurassic franchises both have had first-time, right? So Colin Trevorrow had indies beforehand. This, I guess that's it, it true. It actually might be. That, that might is, still be true. If it's still true, that's a great trivia question because... So many guys even do like college films, not shorts, actually like college films or something like that, yeah. that it counts. Whereas he did all this TV. His TV before he just, launched into his movie that's career. That's so interesting. I know. I thought that was interesting. It's a lot of money to trust somebody who's only ever done TV. Um, so this is interesting. We were just talking about Lake Monica. Okay. And this is so great that this episode is following Last Samurai. So Ethan Hunt makes references to Lake Wanaka and Lake Wanaka is a lake in the South Island of New Zealand, which Tom Cruise visited while in New Zealand filming the last samurai. He liked the place so much that he included it in the film. So that is, that's not just some random lake. That's like his favorite little lake in New Zealand that he was around when he was filming last samurai. And coincidentally, my last episode of the podcast was last samurai. Um, This is a fun fact, mostly because of the car she drives, but Maggie Q had to learn how to drive for the movie because she'd never driven before. Can you imagine that that was the first car you ever drove? I've heard stories like this for for like movie roles and stuff like that, but that's a cool first car. Dude, it's the coolest first car. It's amazing. I don't even know what it is, but it looks so cool. It looks like a Lamborghini, but it... Just the fact that she, like, like the reveal of her coming out of that car, like, it's pretty good. I I was like trying to high five my mom, and she was like, "No, ew, stop, stop. look away." Yeah, Yeah. but those those heels she's wearing, like, if if it's a general a car like that's usually manual transmission. Like, I can't imagine learning a car like that where like I have a stick shift in a Mazda. The clutch is not like 
yeah it's going to go zero to 60 not that great yeah and a car like that you're gonna get those jerks they're <laughs> yeah. like I, it would well be so a, apparently yeah. she ran into another car okay well, on the set yep. her heel got stuck and she just and it was she wasn't going very fast but she just like bumped another no, car. I, I, i've worn flip-flops and the and just the flip in yeah. between the flop got caught in, and you're like ah, in between yeah. the flop. Like it I was like ah, you don't want to wreck because yeah. it gets on the. Um, another fact: one of the five percussionists in the orchestra, which did the film score, was Emil Richards, who 30 years ago played bongos on the original Mission Impossible TV show theme. That is a fun fact. So he was in the orchestra, and he played on the original TV show theme orchestra. Pretty cool. I think he's he was at that concert. I think was he? he still works with him because what he said was he wor- he worked most notably on the original Planet of the Apes movies. Oh, and yeah. if it was that old, he might be that same guy that because he was he was in yeah, with was the, the 60s, drums. Yeah. yeah, super awesome. That's yeah. pretty cool. Um, this is a really fun fact. So these are always my fun facts that I love. People who were cast in roles before it went to the the other person. So at one point, Ricky Gervais was cast in the film as an ally to Ethan Hunt, but due to various production and casting changes, Gervais had to pull out of the film and was replaced by Simon Pegg. Could I, you imagine? I'm so glad. Uh, try imagine. Not even like, he wouldn't have been terrible in three, but like, imagine him in four, five, and six. I would have been like, I would have wanted yeah, to punch could, him in the face. He could not have been in the field. He, no. he would have had to stay at a yeah. desk. Yeah. So glad that went to Simon Pegg. So, so glad. This is a funny story. To promote the film, Paramount rigged 4,500 randomly selected Los Angeles Times vending boxes with digital audio players, which would play the theme song when the door was open. So imagine this. You're reaching in to get your newspaper. Bump, bump, ba-da-bump. It would scare the crap out of you. The, that's not even the scary part. So the audio players did not always stay concealed. However, and in many cases came loose and fell on top of the stack of newspapers in plain view with the result that they were widely mistaken for bombs. <laughs> so oh, there, no. there were actually police bomb squads that detonated a number of vending boxes and even temporarily shut down a veterans hospital in response to an apparent threat. What a marketing flub. Like that you had actual police detonating Los Angeles. Like that is insane to me. I just can't imagine. Like imagine. I can't imagine because I never in my adult life have gone to a newspaper box to grab a newspaper. But opening that up and be like, bump, bump, yep. ba-da, bump, bump. I'd be like, I would scare me to death. That would scare me to death. I wouldn't even think that was cool. I would, that would totally freak <laughs> me out. Um, you already talked about this one. Scarlett Johansson was cast early on and Carrie Ann Moss. Um, there was actually another director attached to it between David Fincher and J.J. Abrams, yes. which you said three. Yes, it, it was like a Joe, Joe Carnahan. Carnahan, that yeah. was it. And he ended up directing Smoke and Aces that same year. Okay. Um, but yeah, he worked on it for 15 months before quitting. Yeah, they were so far into pre-production. That's why I feel when Tom Cruise saw this. You're probably it, right. He's like, I like had that to be scene. Like, I like, like that scene. He's just Pull like, that. listen. Yeah. We're just losing money if we keep doing this. We've pushed our late release date two years. I know you can make this. I'm watching you do this pilot loss, and yeah. it looks amazing. Just, just do it. Just do it. Yeah. And, um, Carrie Russell trained for three months in preparation for her big action scenes. Scene. 
it said scene scenes in the trivia, but she's in one. Well, I guess the flashbacks. And if you can here's, the flashbacks. here's the thing that I, as someone who's like worked in movies, that's, I noticed that and I, I wrote it down, but it wasn't part of your, yeah. your five. So it wasn't a big thing, but I can't imagine because you have to spend weeks and weeks. Honestly, think about the same thing with Maggie. You probably learned weeks to learn how to drive a car. She drives for eight seconds. Yes. Yeah. But, but learning all that hand to hand combat, making a gun blindfolded and it's a flashback. And it's yeah. blink and you miss it, basically. Yeah. There's so many movies like that. Like um, the 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 most recent X-Men, Apocalypse, I think. No, oh, well, yeah. actually, it's not the most recent one. But no, Olivia it's... Munn was in it. Oh, yeah. She worked on sword play for like months. She has a sword in her hands maybe in that movie for like eight seconds. It's not a great movie, but I feel so bad for... We're like, yeah, you learned actor, all these yeah, like techniques all and then stuff, like... And it, it's never it doesn't used. even get used yeah. in the movie. Yeah. Um, it says here that J.J. Abrams approached the original series star, Martin Landau, to make a cameo, but Landau um, declined, saying he was finished with the franchise. Interesting. So that's cool that J.J. at least asked him, like, hey, man, like, you want to be part of it? And he's like, yeah, I'm good. Um, this is a fun fact. The interior of Ethan's house was based on J.J. Abrams' family's home. Hey, <laughs> so it's probably I look like, cozy. I just feel like like Tom Cruise is like, I like your house. Let's just shoot here. Like, you know, you know that that's probably like, um, let's see here. We kind of already talked about that. Kenneth Branagh, you were right, cast as the original villain. Uh, Rachel McAdams turned down the role that went to Michelle Monaghan. Could you imagine? She seems too young to me. And I know that she's probably older than Michelle Monaghan. But think about that. Rachel McAdams, 2006, that's two years after Mean Girls. Mm -hmm. She was way too young. That was around the time. I saw The Notebook, but... (laughs) I was really introduced to her and liked her in Wedding Crashers, which is around the same time. So maybe she could have passed, but she's still pretty young. Yeah. And, and Michelle Monaghan looks young, but I don't know. Somehow she looks older. Um, I love Michelle Monaghan. Right before this, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang came out, one of the most underrated movies that I, I love so much, and she's a big part of it. But I, I feel like I might have liked Rachel McAdams more. No, just, oh, I just like I like Rachel yeah. McAdams better, yeah. Um, but I love Michelle Monaghan. And actually, like, because she comes back in fallout i liked her so much better mm-hmm. she's so good in fallout yes so so good i can't it, imagine rachel, rachel mcadams coming back for fallout like she would have but it's like her career is so like notable mm-hmm. that i feel like at that point it would be like oh whereas like with michelle monahan you're just kind of like oh yeah she exists like thing rames like yeah of course you're coming back as yeah, yeah. what else are you doing? what else are you doing <laughs> Speaking of Michelle Monaghan, she and Carrie Russell have the exact same birth date, March okay. 23rd, 1976. So they're okay. birthday buddies. Um, the outdoor scenes near the end of the movie were shot on location in an actual Chinese village with the residents serving as extras. So those are all okay. actual people, not actors, not background actors, just civilians, which is interesting. Because usually they don't do that because they're yes. all like and looking at Tom Cruise or looking at the camera. And usually you get pieces that are just like, look at this poor representation of Asia. And they're like, they literally were in Asia. And yeah. they used the people there. Yeah. Like they, they didn't make it yeah. terrible. No, this is yeah, what like, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's true. Um, to be fair though, in terms of location stuff, fun fact, they go to a 7-Eleven. I've only seen them in LA. They're not around here. So I was like, are there 7-Elevens in Virginia? Like I literally true. Googled it. And there are. There's tons of them. Oh, I was are just there? Like, oh, but there's just none around here. Yeah. So I was just like, That's so funny. they were probably on location somewhere else. But I was like, oh, it checks out. It checks out. 
Um, so during the credits, this is a fun lost fact. During the credits, one of the organizations which the producers of the film wish to thank is the Hanso Foundation. So that is the lost. Okay. I don't know anything about what that means. Oh, but I can't I have wait it written down here. Do. Um, this is my most fun fact about the movie. Let's hear and it. And you'll know why. Okay. Carrie Russell, Michelle Monaghan, and Maggie Q have all voiced Wonder Woman. Oh. How fun Like is animated that? versions? Yes. Interesting. So uh, Carrie Russell wo- voiced Wonder Woman 2009, whatever that animated, whatever that is. Maggie Q was in Young Justice 2010 and Michelle Monaghan in Justice League War 2014. How fun of a fact is that, though? Because I love Wonder Woman and all three of them voiced her. It's great. They were all in this movie together. And Um, if life was normal, we'd have already seen Wonder Woman. (laughs) I'm so sad about it. Now it's going to get moved again and I'm just... I know you would have seen Top Gun 2 with your dad already. No, we would have had a podcast episode about it. Now it's going to be like 2022 before we ever see movies again. I'm trying not to be depressed by it. Um, studio filming took place at sound stages at the Paramount Studios lot, which for the previous 18 years had been used solely for episodes of what movie that's also tied to J.J. Abrams? Hmm. Star Trek? Yes. Nice. How fun is that? Um, so despite having, this is my, (laughs) this is why we've had to call him Irish Mark Paul Gosler, because the trivia fact is despite having a large role in the film, the character of Declan Gormley, Jonathan Rice Myers is never referred to by his name. It pops up when he's going through yes, the thing. Same with her. Same. same yeah. with, maybe they, they say, say it quickly. For, they okay. say her first name once where she gets, when she gets shot, they say okay. her name. Um, cause I was watching for it. Um, let's see here. Philip Seymour Hoffman is the second Academy award winner to play the lead villain villain in a mission impossible film. Who was the other one? John Voight. Probably. Yes, yeah. John Voight. Good call. Um, I was like, Doug Ray Scott <laughs> getting Oscars anytime what? soon. Um, Mission Someone's Impossible. Someone's been <laughs> Get over here, you bad girl. <laughs> Give him an Oscar. Yeah. He deserves it. Oh, my gosh. Um, Mission Impossible 3 was Tom Cruise's eighth movie in a row to gross over $100 million domestically. Yep. Him, him and Will Smith had a late 90s to early 2000s run Streak. that unparalleled yep and what is the that movie book that i had that i had you want to read that oh basically the one about del- sony yes the golden something yeah that book i'm sure we can put it in the show notes but like of what it actually is but so good. a lot of that the sony hack and reading those emails the big gist was how the movie landscape had to change because tentpole movie stars were yes. dying like there yeah. was no streaks like that anymore yeah they had banked on adam sandler and it, it left it banked yeah. on will smith will smith because at that time was that after earth movie yeah. that Shyamalan movie that tanked terribly Hardcore. yeah yeah it's like the era of the movie star was over and it, that's still true to this day like it's it's intellectual properties it's um those franchise yep. systems like that tom cruise in a mission impossible yes yeah 
First Jack Reacher was good. I don't think it made 100. Second Jack Reacher didn't make anywhere near close to 100. Yeah. So it's like if it's not in those franchises, yeah. it's got to be big ensembles. It's got to be. Yep. Um, This is a fun fact for you because oh, okay. I feel like you would enjoy this. You might be the only person. On AK, this. it's a dumb. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. I just feel like you're very particular about this. And so I feel like you will enjoy it. This was the first film from a major studio to be released simultaneously on DVD HD, DVD, and Blu-ray. That was one of my fun facts that I was going to throw at you. Because I read it and I thought it was so excited. Because fun fact. I knew you would love that. In this time frame, many people might know, may may not know. In the mid-2000s, when the next generation of movie home video releases came out, there were two competing platforms. DVD had HD DVD and Sony had Blu-ray. Most people didn't know who was going to win. Did I buy both? Yes. Did I get burned very badly and still have an HD DVD player in my basement that has no use whatsoever? Yes. <laughs> so I think it's great that... Why am I not even yes. kind of surprised? So the, the Xbox at that time, you could buy a little attachment that could play HD DVD. Yeah. But I literally remember it was Disney that broke the whole... like the. Power of Disney with Blu-ray. They chose Blu-ray, so and then, so went the and rest then Warner, of the world. And Warner Brothers, and then it was all over. And I was yeah. like, "Well, there's, I can make a fire, I guess, with all this stuff." <laughs> fire pit with yep. this. You stack your like books yep. on the yeah. Um, <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, Tom Cruise and Philip Seymour Hoffman were previously in another movie together. It's kind of a niche movie, but do you can you think of what it would I be? I think you've done a podcast on it already. I've not. Oh, you and you've not. Okay. So that would eliminate all of the fourteen. Oh, I'm trying to. I'm, I'm trying part. to think of what you've done, but now he's not boogie nice. I don't know what is it. Magnolia. Magnolia. Yep. Because Tom Cruise has. I would say more of a cameo role. It's a supporting role, but he did get Oscar nominated. Isn't it his only I've Oscar nomination? I've not seen it. I don't know oh. what his... Google, well, YouTube... It's what weird, it, right? YouTube, what he's known for that movie, and it's great because in the Mission Impossible 2 behind the scenes where Ben Stiller is his stunt double, yeah. he's playing on what he says in Magnolia, and it doesn't make sense unless you've seen Magnolia. Oh, gotcha. And if you want this to be a friendly family friendly podcast, I cannot quote to you. Perfect. What well, he after says. we yes, say yes. it, stop. You can tell me what it is. <laughs> Hilarious. Um, it's very against what Tom Cruise is known for. Yes, for sure. Interesting. Um, and then my last fun trivia fact um, that I saved for last because it's you mm. is this was the last Mission Impossible movie to be released in May. That makes me sad. I know. May the pandemic switch it up. <laughs> May the May, pandemic. May, I feel yeah. like movie release schedules are going to be so yes. all over the place now. Now, you share a birthday near my sister. Yes. Usually around that weekend, scary movies start coming no, out. I don't my, like scary You don't movies. like scary movies. My sister, a redhead, a fiend for scary movies. <laughs> Makes sense. Um, yeah. They swapped out something coming out in September, the new Conjuring movie to june and i was like who sees scary movies in june that's not when you see scary movies it's not like my mom watching hallmark movies in july like <laughs> yeah. this is not how this works i yep. know so the pandemic is switching we, we might have you know top gun was a summer movie that's now a christmas movie one of the maybe we'll have a mission impossible 8 comes out in february oh my who gosh it'll be so weird I'll be, like, I'll be like oh my god it might be like the matrix where it's like in four months part two is released <laughs> so true because four five and six all came out in july no didn't they the 
the fourth one came out in December. What? Yeah. I don't remember that. It was because I remember seeing an IMAX early release with uh, with Zach from from Apple. Yeah. Yep. And uh, the Zach fifth Morris? one. Zach Morris. No. Yeah. <laughs> with Irish. Yeah. My, my Paul Mark Paul Gosler. How? Um, and then yes, five and six were summer movies because um, <laughs> five is what I, I met your parents because yes. they love movies too. Yes, can't get my parents. My mom sees two and three and just checks out. Doesn't want to go see big movies anymore. I know my parents are all in. Well, mom's a big Tom Cruise fan. Five and six were July, um, and then I think seven and eight are slated for July. Of course, who knows we'll when that'll see. come out. Um, they are filming in places though that they can film, so that's at least good. So that's good news for us. Um, all right, Chase, this has been so fun. Mission Impossible 3, our J.J. Abrams love fest. I know. We're I'm both so have just been sitting here with our heart eye emojis, faces. We're going to play out. Now, I have to ask, what is the runtime looking so like? We're at a minute, fi- or minute. We're at a minute 56 seconds, um, an hour 56. With the all aboard and the trailer, we might go over. So we'll see. It's the fastest two hours of my life. Like we're padding it. We're padding. Let's talk about something else. Let's talk uh, about. Well, the fun thing is that my battery is about to die, <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna play out with um, the Kanye song <laughs> that is in the end credits that we just found yes. out about. So enjoy as much as we did. Kanye in that twisted That's so impossible to get it Get it, that's so impossible to get it